time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. This is a message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. If you are at higher risk, you should stay home as much as possible and avoid close contact with people who are sick to protect yourself. Call your doctor if you have concerns about COVID-19 and your medical condition or if you get sick. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's uh, edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. It's kind of our Christmas Eve Eve edition uh, of uh, armchair politics joining me for uh, this edition we have our panel of political pundits our roundtable regulars on the left flint's premier political pundit paul rosicki paul welcome good morning good to be here and on the right longtime genesee county republican henry hatter henry welcome to you merry christmas and joining us for this uh, Christmas Eve Eve edition, we have Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. Hi, Wood. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Wood. Merry Christmas, Wood. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Good day. Good. Good to get that stuff in before the uh, sparks fly. <laughs> um, <coughs> But we uh, always start out with uh, with some quotes, and, and the first one up is always the finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? It has been well said that a hungry man is more interested in four sandwiches than what? Mm, than uh, money. 
than freedom or democracy, I'm going to say. <laughs> now you're, you're pretty close, Paul. The uh, original quote was, uh, it has been well said that a hungry man is more interested in four sandwiches than four freedoms. Mm. Uh, uh. That was Henry Cabot Lodge who said oh. that. Oh, hmm. called justice. And and uh, and of course, uh, I think it was um, Foster Brooks who said uh, he didn't know very much about politics. In fact, he thought uh, Henry Cabot Lodge was a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well, the quote of the the quote of the week. This this was just kind of a, a, a weird story. It should almost be an X file, but. Uh, the quote is, this was such a surprise. Uh, it was really the tone of it. He called me kiddo. One of the things that I'm most proud of is my doctorate. I mean, I worked so hard for it. Oh. This is Biden. Well, that was Jill Biden. Jill Biden. Yep, it was yeah. indeed. Uh, yeah. She was surprised by a recent newspaper op-ed piece suggesting she stopped using doctor before her name, she told TV host uh, Stephen Colbert Thursday evening. Uh, Jill Biden has a doctorate in education. Last week, Joseph Epstein wrote in the Wall Street Journal that Biden should drop the, the honorific because she is not a medical doctor. Epstein wrote that her use of the title feels fraudulent, not to say a touch comic. Should any and, and all, for that matter, PhDs be referred to as doctor? Well, that's what their degree says, that they are. I've seen many contexts. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. You know, you go to an academic conference, and then very often people are. It's, it's not universal, and it's not done all the time, but it certainly is common in, in certain contexts at least, yeah. You wouldn't dare go on to a college campus and not refer to a person of that magnitude as doctor. Uh, Epstein really yeah. didn't understand the difference between a medical doctor and a Ph.D., apparently. Either yeah. that or he's saying he doesn't think that John Q. Public knows the difference. But you don't set the public in the face with that. <laughs> well, and, and that's kind of why I, I, I bring it up, because uh, as Paul says, it's not universal, but it is fairly common practice to refer to PhDs as doctors, male and female. Um, right. And, and I've even seen some reaction to this uh, suggesting that it perhaps may have been a little bit sexist, that men can refer to themselves PhDs as doctor, but when a woman does it, it's somehow fraudulent. Yeah, I, I saw those that commentary as well in, in terms of the response to that article, too. So. Uh, as I say, I was really surprised at how how big the reaction was to that story. I saw the the initial story. I think it was the Wall Street Journal, wasn't it, that ran the first story? And I've seen right. commentary on Facebook all over the place since that time. So I, I I think that the point that you you mentioned, though, Tom, about the sort of sexist undertones. I think that that's where this thing got more currency than because you think about. There have been many uh, folks who've had, other than a medical degree, who've been members of uh, cabinets, and they're like, I, I just remember, hey, too many, but I, I remember Obama's um, uh, Secretary of Education, Ernie Duncan, and he was uh, often referred to as doctor, not all the time, 
but Austin. And it was no big deal. And it, 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 not just him, but... Um, Henry Kissinger, uh, I think, was commonly called Dr. Kissinger. You know, when yeah. he was Secretary of State. Yeah, yeah right, you're exactly. right. Califano, uh, when... Uh, I don't remember... That's been years ago dating me, but I remember... So I, I don't know how this thing just seemed to uh, get the, the amount of legs that it uh, that it's gotten. But I have to think that in this moment that we're in, you know, where there's a time of reckoning on racial uh, issues and uh, gender issues and, and the like, that it um, it got some steam that it ordinarily may not have. Yeah, nobody ever complained about Doc Severinsen. <laughs> that's right but or, or doc doc holiday there you go um, yeah yeah although uh, although wasn't doc holiday a dentist yeah i think yeah, he, he yeah. was a doctor i yeah. think he, he was a doctor, doctor i think so but became yeah. a drunk <laughs> <laughs> uh that's a that's a great follow-up to my guest earlier on the show I, I don't know if you had a chance to to listen in but uh the uh, I had the the father and daughter. The daughter had entered a contest with Jameson Irish whiskey to win her dad a Christmas tree made of all uh, Jameson Irish whiskey bottles. Mm. And mm. and and she won it. She had a, a she did a vir- a video that went viral on TikTok, got over one point six million views. And so uh, Jameson took notice and set up uh, a Christmas tree, 130 bottles, the signature wow, that, green. That's, that's uh, a pretty good Christmas present. Um, <clears throat> un- unfortunately, they were all empty. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> don't go, it, don't go. It was purely decorative, but, uh, but fun <laughs> nonetheless. Um, anyway, I just have uh, one little piece of advice for Joseph Epstein. He should probably... Um, if he's not comfortable calling her Dr. Jill Biden, perhaps he could get used to calling her First Lady Biden. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and In fact, did, didn't Epstein get some kind of an honorary doctorate someplace along the way? I thought I saw some reference to that in one of the commentaries on that article. So, I mean, there are people who get the honorary things, and they probably shouldn't use the term, but for those who've earned it, that's another story, I think. Yeah. Okay, well, I've got one more quote to to squeeze in before we go to break. Um, I'm angry because this virus is raging on in this country, and there is either corruption or ineptitude, and it's keeping us from saving lives and protecting people. Dr. Fauci? You would think. That would be my guess, too, yeah. I'm just... That was uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She said in a press conference yeah. Friday <laughs> that Michigan is waiting for doses of the Pfizer vaccine against COVID-19, oh, yeah. but federal delays mean they are sitting yeah. in portage waiting to be shipped instead of being administered to frontline workers. Uh, what do you think was causing the delay in rolling out the vaccine? Was it corruption or ineptitude? Mm. Well, everybody mm. has to get that right or anything that goes wrong with that. Uh, the well, whole system collapses. So they have to get the through. I saw the story that said that they simply had overestimated how many they were going to be able to send out. Yeah. They yeah. miscommunicated the, the numbers up front. Yeah, that's, that's the version I heard. Yeah. So the expectation was for, say, a million, but they really only had a half a million. 
Yeah. 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 I, I lean to more to what an aptitude. Well, if you've ever been in a situation like that where you don't have all of the components to work with and you're waiting for someone else's view of the situation or input, that could cause a delay. And that happens many times in schools, General Motors, and government, everywhere. I know everybody's anxious to, <clears throat> to get it, but but this is a new thing, and it requires putting together resources that never worked together before. Yeah, I we're, 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 we're playing a lot of this by ear, and I'm sure there'll be glitches along the way where things will get fouled up. It's not like we we do this every every year, so... Well, when was the last time well, that we had a uh, a national immunization? Was it um, the uh, polio vaccine? Probably. Well, there was something back in the seventies. Um, there was some kind of a flu vaccine. I've forgotten the name of it. Was it bird flu? Uh, Mid seventies, and they were vaccinating people at at, uh, at rest stops along the highway. And it turned out to be nothing, as it turned out. I guess whatever the flu was didn't, didn't wasn't terribly serious, but there was kind of a stampede in the um, SARS. Uh, maybe, maybe it was maybe it was yeah. SARS. I've forgotten. The, it's, it's somewhere I'm thinking in the middle or late seventies was. Oh, H one N one. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Yeah. I only remember uh, that one because uh, a friend of mine's dad read it wrong and and always referred to it as the Heine flu. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. But, I mean, we've never, I don't think we've ever had any, in the last hundred years at least, had a, a situation like this where we've tried to, to generate the, uh, the vaccine so quickly and get it out so, so quickly. And also yeah, you needed then, two shots. <laughs> I think that was the African flu, that they called the African flu, uh, that they mm. had the problems with. And they didn't want it to come into the United States. So the first person who had it was a doctor who was worked, engaged in that whole process in Africa. And he came to California to be treated, and he recovered. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I, I remember that now. Yeah. One, I thing, I, that one. one thing I want to mention um, before we go to break, and that is... Uh, the passing of uh, Wayne County Sheriff Benny Napoleon, yeah. who died Thursday oh, night yeah. at Henry Ford, yeah, yeah. Um, from yeah. COVID-19. He was on a yeah. ventilator for three weeks before he finally uh, passed away Thursday night. It was announced by his daughter. He was 65, Sheriff's Office, announcing his death uh, early last Friday morning. Good, good guy. Real good guy. Yeah. Wood, do you happen to remember how long he served as Wayne County Sheriff? Uh, he held some other was, positions, but I just, it yeah, seems like I remember yeah. him as Wayne County Sheriff forever. Well, actually, it it hasn't been, I mean, you know, he wasn't the longest serving, but this may have been his second, maybe maybe third term, but that, that seems like a little longer. But Benny, uh, as you uh, may know, uh, was originally chief of police under Dennis Archer, oh, and yeah. then uh, was um, the deputy uh, uh, Wayne County executive under uh, Facano, I think, and um, and then uh, followed uh, Evans as uh, as sheriff. Uh, then, of course, uh, squeezed in there was. Uh, we got a break here. 
run for mayor. Everybody we'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Oh, you better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, oh, Santa Claus is causing some jobs, jobs, he's making a list, checking it, twice gonna find out who's naughty or nice, oh, Santa Claus is coming, comes to town, he's coming to town, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're For goodness sake, oh, you better watch out, better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, oh, Santa Claus is coming to town, he's coming to town, the kids and girl and boy land will have a jubilee, gonna make a toy land all around the Christmas tree, oh, you better watch out, better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, oh, Santa Claus is coming, hear those sleigh bells coming, Santa Claus is coming, you better watch out, that jolly thing is on his way to The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner 
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com program. The Tom Sumner Program takes a look back at 2020, Monday and Tuesday, December 28th and 9th, with a two-part special called 2020 Highlights, Not Just COVID. Here, special guests provide commentary and analysis about the Mueller report, impeachment, the State of the Union, State of the State, virtual political conventions and debates, plus civil unrest, and Sheriff Chris Swanson's response to local demonstrations, and a whole lot more. Listen December 28th and 9th because there was more to 2020 than COVID-19. Stream the show from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, repeating online all day and night. Or tune in on 92.1 FM in Flint at 9 a.m. and p.m. both nights. That's 2020 highlights, not just COVID, December 28th and 9th on the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley. Um, she's called him an obstructionist. He's called her a disappointment as a leader. No, I'm not talking about the uh, Bickersons. But together, the city council <laughs> thinks that members Eric Mays and Kate Fields are exactly the combination they need to find an attorney to advise and represent the council. Um, through its considerations of the uh, $20 million water settlement, uh, uh, water crisis uh, lawsuit settlement uh, against the city of Flint. Uh, the council voted Thursday to hire its own attorney rather than rely on those supplied by the city and then voted for Mays and Fields to, to lead an accelerated search to find the lawyer by the time it met again on uh, Monday. What are your thoughts about a Maze Fields collaboration? Talk about an odd couple. <laughs> but it would be good if it worked. It would be good for the council and the city if it, if it worked. Yeah, I would they could pull it yeah. off. Paul, were you yeah, watching it, the meeting when they took that vote? No, I, was, I had it on, but I did not have. I was not watching at that particular time. I was just I curious who whose idea it was, because y you know I couldn't help thinking, you know, this is kind of brilliant. Well, you know, what if they came out the back end, um, maybe with a little more respect for each other? Yeah, and that would be. A, I mean, if they can pull it off, in terms of just the uh, the image of the city council, that would be a great plus if they could pull it off. And it wow. would shut down all of the critics. From both sides, right there, sharply. You have nothing yeah. else to say. Everybody gets what they want. <laughs> well, well both factions. So yeah, if it, you brought them together, that uh, that would certainly uh, be a good thing for the city. It's an interesting idea, to be sure. But uh, I don't know if they if if they ever came through with an attorney or not. But the uh, City Council, in a divided vote, signed off on uh, Flint's part, 
in the $641 million settlement of water crisis lawsuits filed by residents. Ending weeks of indecision and debate, council members voted 6-1 to one with two abstentions on, uh, well, yesterday, in fact, to accept $20 million from an insurance policy to settle more than 100 pending civil lawsuits against it in state and federal courts, signing onto an agreement initially negotiated by the state of Michigan and attorneys for thousands of Flint residents. Council members Eric Mays and Monica Galloway abstained from the vote, and Jerry Winfrey Carter cast the lone vote against the settlement. Council members Maurice Davis, Santino Guerra, Kate Fields, Herbert uh, Winfrey, Alan Griggs, and Eva Worthing voted in favor of the move. The vote ends weeks of debate over whether the city would join the settlement. Does this put an end to future claims? I, I still see attorneys advertising for clients on television for the water crisis, so I, I think it'll end a lot of them, but I'm not so sure it's going to end everything. Now, maybe somebody can add more to that. But um, but it's a good it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that the threat of, of endless lawsuits could have enormous financial impact on the city. Uh, well, I, I don't practice law generally on Wednesday, but... Um, <laughs> I, it, it, it is a legal question, but I would just hazard this, that it will not be the end of uh, the uh, water crisis um, and just this whole um, question of whether or not this is an equitable uh, settlement. In all, fairness, in all fairness to the council who, you know, had multiple hours, uh, you know, uh, meetings with hours ranging into the wee hours of the morning uh, over the past several weeks it's been a real tough one because several of the council people believed that this was not nearly enough money to settle Agreed. these lawsuits but on the on the other side of it of course the the lawyers were all arguing and pushing the council to accept this um, to put a cap on it for fiscal reasons, um, you know, that yeah. you can't have lawsuits uh, going on forever and ever. And if they could, you know, get it resolved for $20 million that was put up by the insurance company, that that was a smart thing to do fiscally and that they should jump on it. So they had this fiscal responsibility to try and save the city money, but at the same time they have a responsibility to their constituents you know, to allow for them to get the best reparation they can. Yeah, and I understand a constituent's anger. I mean, at some, at some level, maybe there's never enough money to, to undo some of the damage that some people have suffered with this kind of thing. So I, I understand the anger there, but as I say, that's, uh, my understanding is that if we didn't accept the deal that the insurance company would not even provide the $20 million, I, if, I, if I understood it correctly. And the city would be on the hook for all of it. I, I thought that was what I heard. The, the, the observation that I have posted up from the beginning is that no one has been able to adequately put uh, what, what would be a fair price tag. This is, this is uh, a negotiated price tag. And, and, and I would say this. And, and I don't, you know, I don't have any expert information that to necessarily, this is all my opinion. But I think that this is 
not anywhere near what the price tag uh, mm-hmm. of, of the the um, crisis. And and we we won't know. I mean, you know, that's my opinion. But I, it, it, as much as that looks like a big number, I think it is nowhere near what the price tag will be going forward. I think. Well, I think the real issue is for some of these kids, and it may affect them their their lives decades right. from now. Right. They may may be suffering right. in some way. So that's true. Not li- not like recalling a million cars. I mean, that seems like a huge price tag. These are human lives. Yeah. Well, there's a similar um, sort of quandary that the uh, county board finds itself in over retiree benefits, um, the, the idea of being fiscally responsible or honoring uh, the, the commitment uh, that, that they made to employees and who have subsequently retired. Uh, the county says it's stopping plans to make changes in retiree health care after a Genesee Circuit Court judge issued an injunction that requires it. Um, in a news release Monday, the county uh, said that Judge F. K. Bim, is it Beam, issued the uh, yeah issued the preliminary injunction stopping the move of Genesee County retirees to a new health insurance provider. County officials had been moving ahead with plans to enact the benefit changes, which included consolidating retiree health care plans and replacing Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan coverage starting January 1st. Council 25 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, or AFSCME, sued the county to block the changes, which officials had counted on for savings of $6.8 million annually. Uh, <coughs> We are certainly disappointed by the judge's decision today, County Board of Commissioners Chairman Martin Cousineau said in a statement issued by the county. We have got to get this right for the county and our retirees. I know that this is going to be a priority for the newly elected board, and I wish them well in finding an adequate resolution to this issue. This is another one of those situations where you can do what's right or what's fiscally responsible but what happens if staying with the existing health care plan causes insolvency that doesn't reduce benefits but eliminates them altogether you'll end up like general motors corporation going to bankruptcy you don't that's that's really the issue anytime you've got a declining population and declining financial base you see that, I mean, I saw some number for the city of Flint. Retirees compared to the number of current employees. The city has shrunk so much. I mean, the, the numbers are, are tough to deal with. They really are. Um, yeah, yeah. This, this, is, this is a tough, tough, it, it really is. It, it is a financial tsunami uh, that is, uh, I, I was in a um, uh, workshop many years ago, and they 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 did a uh, and I can't remember what the number was, but this was the unfunded retiree debt uh, for the nation in terms of all public uh, pensions and so. And, and it was just, and this has been, geez, this has been over twenty five years ago. But you could see that number then; it was a tsunami. So forward twenty five thirty years, you know where it, it just as as Paul just indicated, or Henry, whoever said that, you know, so the current population 
and workers are taking care of the retirees and so forth. And when when this tax base declines and workers decline and the like, uh, how, how can you sustain those commitments that were made? And remember, remember this. It was easy to give benefits on the pension side than to give uh, bumps in hourly wages. Mm-hmm. And that's that's partly what contributed to the problem. Yeah, I, th- I think the numbers I recall for the city of Flint were something like, it was almost a two-to-one ratio, two, two retirees for every current employee right, a few right, years right, back. Right, something, yeah, uh, yeah, something yeah, in that two point thing. something, yeah. Well, yeah. and, and as Henry pointed out, that's exactly what happened with GM. They were paying more people not to work than they were on the line. And that's also characteristic of public education for the state of Michigan. Everybody is. Even yeah. the union and the state says, well, if you don't accept more responsibility, we're not going to honor your retirement benefits. So they are working on that, trying to get that result. They've been working on it for five to ten years. And yet they don't have a result. But somewhere they're going to have to uh, cut benefits or, or to solve the problem or lay someone off and increase the, the class size. Would you served on the, the county board of commissioners and served for a while as its chair? You were mayor of the city of Flint. You served for several terms on the Flint City Council. How difficult is that when you're facing, you know, fiscal solvency versus what you think is the right thing to do? Well, let me just say that the options are very, very scarce. I mean, the options without pain, I should say. You know, there are no painless options. I I, I can remember uh, years ago, uh, this was back when I first came on the city council. Uh, there was something that the retirees wanted, uh, and uh, because you know our retirement fund was doing, I mean, fantastic, and so they wanted a part of that surplus, and and we did something called a thirteenth check for the retirees, and I think we did it for. Geez, probably right up until almost I was, yeah, up until I was mayor, I think. And then finally, you know, it was it was clear. My my uh, financial folks were saying we, this is not sustainable, so we cut it out. And uh, one of the folks that was getting that thirteenth check was my mother-in-law. And so you you can imagine, you know, I had to explain hey, look, this, is not, <laughs> this is not sustainable. But that was a small thing. And so I, so I make this point that the the town, all of the options are tough. Because, um, I mean, you know, I'm in that group as a retiree. But I understand that if you can't sustain it, you can't just keep telling folks, oh, yeah, we're going to take care of it. And so the union has to take, you know, because remember, the union helped negotiate most of these benefits. So it has, you know, its fingerprints are on the deal as well as the public officials. Should the approach be to sit down with the union and say, look, this is going to be bankrupt in, you know, 18 months or 13 months or something. We have to do something different. What What are your suggestions? Well, Tom, let, let me tell you, yes, and that has happened. I, I think uh, Henry just alluded to, you know, when I was in Lansing, 
this whole issue was being uh, worked on. But frequently, leadership on both sides doesn't want to do the hard <laughs> the, yeah. the hard piece on their watch. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's the union, the because, hey, look, I, you know, uh, I, I remember I had to negotiate a lot of contracts, and, and frequently the, the union leadership would say to me, and these were guys that were very supportive of me politically, they would say to me privately, hey, Wood, we know, man, that you got to do this, but I can't go to the membership and lay that on the table. I just can't do it. And yeah. so their position was, you're going to have to fall on the sword. You're going to have to be the bad guy. And, um, you know, they're, in, in, in the political uh, field, there are going to be some folks who are, who are gonna, whose careers are going to be ruined and the like because this is tough. It is absolutely tough. There, there are no easy answers, and, they're, you know, they're going to be givebacks, things that people have enjoyed well. There's some things that, I mean, Henry, you know this from, from the General Motors yeah. piece that people had things that they enjoyed for years and folks said, hey, look, uh, sorry, we're not going to be able to pay all of those uh, medical um, benefits going forward. And, and, you know, but the thing that complicated uh, the whole process is whenever the, um, the people who work, the employees, got a raise, that raise went into the salary base, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. compounded the problem. They could, they were, the debt ratio was growing faster for wages and General Motors uh, than they could reduce their benefits. So um, that made it difficult, and they saw the handwriting on the wall at times when the axes, the X and the Y axis, would cross where they would clap. They knew this for a long time, but nobody had the guts to say, hey, let's do this. Let's find a solution to this. But they, they mm-hmm. let it go to crisis. And, and, and when, you're, when you're growing, you can, it's easy to promise all this stuff, but when you start contracting, then that's when it gets very, very painful. Yes. But what about the, yeah. the union leadership and their, their responsibility, uh, you know, to be... Uh, I don't know, reasonable and, and effective, um, can't they come up with some options and put them before the members and say, look, this is the reality, you know, and actually let the, the members participate in the process of selecting a way out of the problem? You know, Tom, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you this, that, I, and, and, you know, these are folks that I, many that I know personally and I've had long relationships across the spectrum of, of, of unions and, and the like, and the, and the intent may be good, but I, I, I can tell you that uh, in terms of folks who are on the receiving end, uh, they may understand what you're saying to them, but people believe oftentimes that you're going to pull a rabbit out of the hat. I've had people say that to me, that, hey, we've seen you, um, worked these things out before. We think you can work it out. And you say, hey, look. <laughs> you hey, did it for them, do it for me. Right. And you <laughs> say, well, well, Houdini, Houdini is gone. He's not, he's not around yeah. here anymore. So I, I, can, I can tell you that that's why I said there will be uh, folks who will lose their political uh, life because 
I mean, you, you know, they're, they're tough, tough decisions. And the tough decisions haven't been made. And this is at every level of government across the spectrum. Uh, Henry mentioned um, education. In every particular area, it is the same problem. You have this huge, huge tsunami that's uh, bearing down. And, and it is, this thing is not uh, a long time off. You know, this thing is right on us right now. And, you know, and to add to what Woodrow is saying, uh, General Motors, for instance, was facing significant challenges from other automobile worker, workers who were reducing the cost of building a car. General Motors used, uh, used 35 hours uh, time it's uh, uh, using the cost of its labor force to build a Buick. And mm. Toyota was using 29 hours to build its Toyota. How can a company stay in business with that disparity between these two yeah, poles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't do it. Can't do it. Well, wouldn't free marketers say, you know, only the strong survive? <laughs> yeah. Well, well not the guys yeah. who work for General yeah. Motors. They say, hey, uh, we want General Motors to survive, but but they just couldn't put it together. You know, it's it's interesting in, in Wood. I like the pulling a rabbit from a hat um, analogy. I, it just seems like at every level of government, the hat's running out of rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we that haven't... Industry, that, that industry is, uh, is in... The old rabbit producing industry is also in, in, uh, in trouble. The, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting to me that we haven't heard anything about the roads since COVID started. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the question is, is there ever going to be money for the roads whenever this is all said and done? I mean, yeah. the, the financial burdens of COVID are going to be enormously long-lasting, I think. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised, yeah. I, I'm surprised that some people haven't attacked uh, Gretchen Whitmer for saying, well, if you can't fix the roads, make people stay home. <laughs> She's probably you, thinking that you'll have to stay home. You can't go on the roads. <laughs> That's right. 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 But it's amazing how time and circumstances dictate new priorities. The roads are no That's longer true. priority. Well, yeah. yeah if you're if you're stuck at home, you don't really notice that the roads haven't been fixed. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's a little bit morbid, I think. Um, and uh, on the on that topic, I don't know if I have time to get this in before the break or not. Probably not. I, I will mention that next week on uh, Armchair Politics, it will be just Paul and Henry and me remembering 2020 through the uh, eyes of armchair <laughs> politics. Uh, and, and it's surprising how many things went on that seemed like a very long time ago. But it, yeah, it's an incredible year when you think about all the yeah. events that seemed like a million years ago, and they were all back in, in 2020. January and February yeah. and March were cooking right along, and then all of a sudden it became all about the uh, about the pandemic. But we are going to yeah. take a short break if you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that. 
said dial don't click that mouse more armchair politics will return right after this hello there citizens darkwing duck here and every time i'm in flint fighting crime i always stop by the tom sumner program don't forget stay dangerous darkwing duck out we want to say hello, we want to see you smile, we'd like to sing some good old Christmas songs. With songs of Otto Santa and his reindeer sleigh, and gee, I just can't wait until it's Christmas Day. We're gonna set you wise, we love to harmonize, and if we had our way, we'd never stop. We'll say hello, we'll see you smile, and we'll sing some good old Christmas songs. We'll say hello. We'll see you smile. And we'll sing some good old Christmas songs. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom Bodette from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season, and you've probably been told there's no room at the end. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across a desert. 
And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger 6. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodette from Manger 6 reminding you, there's always room at this inn. We'll even leave a star out for you. back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program. The ban on indoor dining at bars and restaurants across Michigan will remain in effect another four weeks as the state health department seeks to reduce the spread of COVID-19. While restrictions on indoor dining will remain in place through January 15th, other indoor entertainment venues like theaters, casinos, Bowling alleys and indoor gun ranges will be allowed to reopen with capacity limits and a ban on concessions. Schools will also be allowed to resume in-person learning on January 4th. Do food and beverages uh, or food and beverage operations create a greater risk of infection and spread of COVID-19? I would have I to believe so. Because you take your mask off to eat. That's I guess that's what I've read. Is that's that's the key issue, the key distinction. I heard something I, I hadn't really thought about, but most restaurants um, for indoor dining um, have they they're in the process of trying to create ambience. They play music either on a music system or they have live entertainment or something, which causes people to talk louder. Hmm. Oh, I never thought about that angle, but that's pretty I, I hadn't either until fairly yeah, recently. Huh. And and someone was talking about when you're in specifically, you know, restaurants and, and places that are considered entertainment venues, because of the music, people are forced to you know, talk louder and they tend to, to spread those those uh, mm. infectious droplets further potentially. Mm. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, I've been in, we've all been in places where the music was loud, and you to talk to anybody nearby, you had to almost shout. No, I, I can I can see that. I I had never thought about that, but that part of it. I've been hearing the music's too loud all my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a jazz lover, so I you know uh, you like not to. You like that smooth not jazz. The you like that smooth <laughs> yeah. jazz where you can still whisper a little yeah. bit. Um, legislation that would overturn one of the emergency laws Governor Gretchen Whitmer used as authority to issue COVID-19 orders during the first several months of the pandemic cleared the Michigan House early Friday morning. Uh, Senate Bill 857, sponsored by Senate uh, Senator uh, Tom Barrett, a Republican from Charlotte, would repeal the 1945 Emergency Powers of Governor Act, one of two state laws currently on the books Whitmer used to issue a wide swath of orders that required masks 
in public spaces, limited uh, crowd sizes, and closed various establishments after the legislature opted not to ultimate uh, not to extend the initial state of emergency declaration on April 30th. Whitmer's use of the act was ultimately deemed unconstitutional in a split October Michigan Supreme Court decision after Republicans and others challenged the orders in state and federal courts. This le- uh, that's left it up to the legislature to codify many of the COVID-19 executive orders invalidated by the ruling, although the state's Department of Health and Human Services has mirrored several of Whitmer's response measures in subsequent public health emergency orders. Do you think the legislature is the best place to determine the state's response to natural disasters and health emergencies like COVID-19? Well, I think well, to the extent you need a quick response, it may not be because inevitably the legislature, with all of their committees and so forth, are going to take more time. If it's if it's got to be an immediate response, if you have a longer term response, I think it's reasonable to bring them on board. But if there's a need for an instant response, it may not be the best location. Well, that, I think that authority was given either by the Constitution or by the legislature. And that's the authority that they gave the governor under these circumstances when we were faced with uh, uh, epidemic uh, uh, confrontations with either disease or something going on in the public that was endangered the public. And so uh, until the legislature takes that back or that changes, they'll have to live with it. But it would behoove the governor to try to work with the legislature and negotiate it rather than to stand and confront them. It's it's clear that this is strictly partisan politics. Uh, And and it's it's shameful. Um, You know, I I would hope that if this were reversed and, you know, uh, Democrats were in the the Republican governor, that you wouldn't see the same thing. I'm not suggesting that it wouldn't, but I don't think so. But this is... Given the contaminated atmosphere that we have uh, in this country, um, this is just one of those shameful uh, political, partisan political um, acts. It, it, uh, you know, I, I would I would wager a few bucks that if if the governor's last name were Engler or Snyder, um, and, and and Republicans were in the majority. That this, I, I would wager a few bucks that they would not be <laughs> undertaking this same uh, course of action. I just don't believe so. No, I think yeah, you're right. I think you're right. It's, no, think it's it, the people that decide what what they will accept or not. It's not those Republicans or Democrats that decide this. It's the people. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, 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 this deeply partisan you. time. In this deeply partisan time, these things that abstractly might make sense become very divisive kind of issues. And I think, yeah, I think Wood's right. If 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 you had Republicans there, you wouldn't see the same kind of thing. Republicans in the governor's office. Well, who would make the difference? Who, Republicans are a minority within the community in the uh, the voting population. So who makes they're the not, difference? They're not. They're not the minority in the districts that they serve that they represent. Yeah, but as a state, we're looking at the legislature. We're looking, guys. We're looking at the state 
as a whole. Well, here's now, here's a, that, another thing. Here's another thing that's a, that's on kind of a similar a, a similar uh, thread. The Michigan legislature has fought executive orders from Governor Gretchen Whitmer and her state agencies all year long, and took a step Thursday to deal another blow to the administration's efforts to mandate coronavirus precautions. Just before the end of the legislative session, the Michigan Senate laid the groundwork to put a measure in place to suspend any Whitmer administration order issued before the next session starts in January. State senators approved Senate Concurrent Resolution 36, introduced by Senator John Bison, a Republican from Battle Creek, by a voice vote without discussion. It also, If also approved by the House, it would create a committee with the potential power to suspend any rule or regulation introduced by a state agency in between the end of the current lame duck session and the start of the 2021-22 session on January 13th. In other words, any rule, regulation, or order from Whitmer or the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services introduced over the next few weeks could be denied by this committee, a GOP spokesperson said. Is there any ongoing purpose for this committee? It's overreach. It's absolutely overreach. How how can the legislature? Uh, I mean, you 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 you're assuming executive uh, authority, and you're the legislative branch of government. Uh, it's overreach. Yeah, and again, it's just, it's this partisan partisan issue. If there was. If it was uh, you had all Republicans, then you wouldn't see the same kind of kind of action. That's well, that's I, don't, I don't. Paul, I respectfully, I I don't agree with that. I think that we've got to remember that Republicans are a minority in the state. Now, there's a there's a great body. Yeah, but they're a of, majority in both houses. Yeah, yeah they got to do. Yeah, <clears throat> but but something called gerrymandering. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. another story. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We, you're right. Go right in, Henry. We like to hear yeah, the that. You're right. They they are minority in both parties, and that can make a difference. But then I guess that's the music you have to play by, and it's only for a a limited time. It's between uh, the time that they go out for recess for Christmas and uh, the, about the twentieth of January when new. But Henry, let me let me just ask. So, I mean, do you agree that they are on good footing and they they are taking uh, the appropriate action by passing a resolution uh, to rescind the governor's executive orders through her departments and the like? You, you know, those are executive. Remember, those are executive. Uh, uh, actions that are being taken. So, do, well, do you agree I, that they are they're correct in doing that? Well, you know, I, I think that there's some other things that should have been done first. Is but, there? Uh, we don't we we move quickly through these things and don't think about the consequences. But they right. should have given the, taken the orders back from the governor through policy. Uh, Am I understanding yeah. this right? That they're they're just they're setting up a committee to yeah. watch over the, the governor and, and state agencies while they're gone? 
No, I think what that's what it sounds like, yeah. Has a lame duck session ever left a babysitter in charge before? (laughs) No, this is something new. Um, And and I've never heard of it being done before, but it is a step, apparently, that they can do. Well, we need to take a uh, short break for Top of the Hour ID, but we'll continue with the second half of Armchair Politics, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley, right after this. Don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 